This is the Press Pass with Chris Ryan. This is where you hear unique conversations with the best athletes, coaches, and general managers in sports. I think you appreciate each and every one. Uh, each and every one is special in their own way. And I play with two guys that uh, they were on top of their game on a nightly basis, and people get spoiled. You know, they they saw Manny, they saw David, so they they start taking people for granted. Uh, opportunity for me. And I know I need to help my team now, so you know, the better I play, the better it'll be for us. I think it's uh, one of the most important things is focus and consistency. David Ortiz gets the call to the hall. What is going to happen in the championship games this Sunday? The Patriots get set for next year, and Bruins playing pretty good hockey. I am Chris Ryan. This is the Press Pass. We start with David Ortiz, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Over 77% of the vote just squeaking in to the Hall on the first ballot, but getting in is all that matters. And to me, David Ortiz, without question, a first ballot Hall of Famer, a transformational figure in Red Sox history, a champion uh, for the city, a champion for the team, and one of the most feared hitters of his generation, David Ortiz, a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is in. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, not, and off the ballot after 10 years, and they may get in the future uh, as a result of veterans committees uh, putting them into the Hall of Fame, but not via the traditional uh, ballot into the Hall of Fame for those three individuals. However, David Ortiz, a waiting game ensued on Tuesday, and then he got the call to the Hall. Man, I'm telling you, um, I, I, the longest time that I don't think I ever lived was past noon today. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, Cooperstown, the elephant, everybody call you to tell you about the protocol, but they don't say much. They just tell you, this is what you got to do. And to you, my receive this phone call, blah, 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 blah. I mean, like the, the time started ticking. And as you know, I can really see the time on my watch. So it drives me crazy. <laughs> but once I received a phone call today with the whole family, my kids, my dad, Pedro, my agent, I mean, my friends, like it was something, man, that, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. I never dream of, you know, like it was something that I, especially your first year, you know, it is something that as difficult as it is, you will think that it will take a left turn, you know, because we have seen it all when it comes down to this, but I'm so thankful and grateful, man, to be able to be part of this elite crew. I want to thank you guys, the baseball writers, for giving me the opportunity and for think of me that way that I'm part of this unbelievable group of players. You know, I mean, this is something that I'm not going to lie to you. I never dream of. Love to hear David Ortiz is going to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame the last Saturday in July in Cooperstown, New York. More on baseball in just a little bit, including a bit of a conversation with Tristan Cassis, who looks like he is going to be a top-flight Major League player. He, of course, starred the Olympics and is a Red Sox prospect. That in just a little bit. We'll talk about the lockout with him as well. So some football now. Of course, Patriots season ended 
two weeks ago. But as you start to think about it more in retrospect and that glaring loss is kind of out of the consciousness, you have a little more appreciation for what the Patriots did this year and kind of where they're headed as well. You think about the offense and the projection now of what Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne can be. Hunter, uh, Hunter Henry as a tight end. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson as well as uh, Damian Harris in the backfield. Maybe need to sure things up a little bit on the line. Not sure about Isaiah Wynn. Not sure what's going to happen with uh, Trent Brown. But you like Mac Jones. Maybe a little more deep threat either in the draft or in free agency. But you like the offense. And obviously a big question as to whether Josh McDaniel is going to take that head coaching job with the Raiders. Need some improvement on defense. And we see now you know, the Patriots are behind where – these top flight NFL teams are. They're certainly behind the Chiefs. They're behind the Bills. And that is clear. And what a phenomenal football game that was uh, last weekend. Anyway, we see where the Patriots need to go. And there's the assessment of who you are, what you've done, how good players are, but also you know where you need to get to. And the Bills certainly going to have some issues moving forward with age and with impending free agency. But Josh Allen is legit, one of the best quarterbacks in the league and a guy that has a, t- a chance to be an all-time great. Anyway, that's the the playing field now. And even the Bengals, right? I mean, the Bengals have taken a step forward. I don't think they're going to have a lot of success against the Chiefs on Sunday. Uh, but they have taken a step forward. Um, and as you look at the NFC, I think the Rams are going to have some success against the 49ers Sunday as well. Let's check you with Jacoby Myers right now about the future of this Patriots offense. Hey, Jacoby, uh, thanks for the access this year. It's been great talking with you. Um, just your your thoughts on how you're going to go about processing uh, everything that's that's taken place here over the last couple of days where, you know, obviously there's the positives in the growth that you mentioned, but also, you know, the humbling aspect of, of seeing, you know, the Buffalo Bills have the success they had. So how do you kind of process those those two things? Um, I think one thing about I don't really like speaking on other teams, but I feel like watching the Bills, since I've been in the league, they've consistently gotten better. You know what I mean? Like that group, that core group of skilled guys and just their offense, it just shows you, it actually gives you hope, you know what I mean? Because we see where they started and we see where they are now. So we we kind of look forward to that. Just one day that'll be us, you know what I mean? One day that'll be our core group just being so comfortable playing with each other that we know what each other's thinking. We know who we want to target, you know what I'm saying? Like we can just do this and do it together. So. I'm really excited about this group. And like I said, just looking at other teams across the country, is just, it gives us hope. <clears throat> yeah, that was actually my next question where, you know, you look at where Josh Allen was in his first year, where Mac was in his first year, obviously you guys are the running backs, the wide series, you feel like this is, you know, the first year of, of many for a core that will compete for years to come. I'm definitely hoping so. Like I said, I mean, I had a really, I had a lot of fun with this group this year and, I really enjoy my time spending time with the guys and just getting to know them this year. So hopefully, hopefully it is, you know. Thanks. Appreciate it. Checking on the Boston Bruins right now as the Bruins have hit the halfway point of the season. Their game last night in Arizona against the Coyotes. Bees have been really strong in their last 10 games. They have points in eight of their last 10. They find themselves on the right side of the playoff picture as well, well ahead of the Detroit Red Wings for the final spot, which is where they are at right now, but still looking to move up, and they have a chance to to do so in the Atlantic Division. I talked with the head coach of the Boston Bruins, Bruce Cassidy. A lot of topics to get to with him. David Pasternak, a tremendous January with 10 goals for Pasta 
this month as he has turned things around here in the month of January in 2022. Also, Tuka Rask has been a little bit rusty since uh, coming off of the hip injury. I talked with the head coach of the Boston Bruins, Bruce Cassidy. Hey, Butchie, just on uh, pasta in January, obviously he was hoping you know that reset was going to help him, and it seems like obviously he had good habits forming before that, but what have you seen from him this month as he's continued to score? Well, he's on net like that shot today. Like he he was off net with that earlier this year. And and in fairness to him, Chris, he hit crossbars and post, right? Now it's going in. So be on net with your shots. He had one in the first power play in the second period. The uh, Hellebuck got a cross on save, but he's forcing goalies to make make saves more often, I think. And then when that when you start scoring, I think, as I said, goal scorers start feeling a little better. They're they're a little cleaner, a little their hands, you know, are lighter. All the, all those things uh come together for you. So um, he's had chemistry, obviously, with Hall. Only he can speak to the um, the matchups he's getting. I mean, obviously, I you know we're in game. We know what he's getting, but how hard it is versus the first pair, or the second pair. Some nights, uh, you know, he you know he he knows which players he um, can have success against. Uh, he's pretty good student of the game that way. Who he's going against in terms of left eeks, he's usually coming in the right side, et cetera, things like that. So, um, you know, tonight it. It didn't happen for their line five on five a lot. Uh, it wasn't a, you know, a line rush game, so to speak. It, you know, they, as the game went along, they had a few more opportunities to do that uh, and got some looks. But at the end of the day, hung in there, scored a big goal. Turns out to be the winner on the power play. We rely on him for that, for that shot. Uh, and he came through for us. There's always been a lot of discussion about uh, Pasta playing with uh, with Bergie and Marshy and, you know, how to kind of work that through with, with the lineup. And obviously made a decision to have him play with, with Hall, um, was it more the intent at the time just to get Pasta going, or did you, with depth issues, want to see you know the scoring extended a little bit and, and looking at Hall and Pasta playing together on more of a long-term basis? No, it was a little bit. The decision was made. I didn't like the direction we were necessarily going. I, I think when I've switched Pasta off that line, usually it's it's when things have gone well with the team and there's someone ready to step in to play with Bergie and Marsh. As I said before. Those are elite players. They see elite matchups every night, and, and you can't just plug anybody in there and expect them to be able to go out and play against the best in the National Hockey League. So you have to make sure someone's ready to go. So in the past, we've kind of felt that out and waited waited to see who that was. And um, and this year was more about, you know what, we're not getting what we want out of certain lines. Um, so let's have a conversation about it. I had an idea what I wanted to do, talk to those three guys about it, um, again, I think I explained that why that they, they have some, some, some you know, obviously a feel for the room, a feel for what goes on in practice, who they might have chemistry with. And then, you know, you put pieces together that that you think can work. Um, and until you do it, you never know. Eric Hall in there, we didn't know. He hadn't played there. We'd, he'd played some good hockey on the wing, but we had a conversation with him as well about what his role was being. He's really bought into it. So as much as Hall and Pasta have taken off, I think Eric's done a good job of making sure things run smoothly in the middle of the ice there and allow them to have a little more, a little more freedom to do their thing offensively. So I think that's been a good fit. Smitty added some, some good work ethic to, to the, the top group. And I think Coyle just a little more comfortable in that third hole uh, can you know, sort of pick up wherever he's playing with. And now we're starting to see a little bit of the offense come for them. So it worked out well, uh, but that's the reasoning behind it uh, for the most part. Uh, I still think, you know, that Bergie Marsh passed as, you know, arguably the best line in the league. And it's, it's a tough call when you move them apart, but it's worked out. Uh, but no, it wasn't just for pastas purposes. I just thought the whole team needed a bit of a boost. 
so that's what we decided and and so far it's it's worked out but i also think honestly chris the break has got everyone refreshed and i think everyone's ready to come back and and uh get back at it and get get themselves in a good place so um, probably both things mixed together has, has made us a much better team out of that, you know, out of that Christmas pause. And just briefly, have you been, you know, more patient? Obviously, the results have been there, but have you tried to be, you know, more patient with keeping things stable because of the, the rationale that you just described there? Because yes. you do like to move guys around. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, there's been days you look like, okay, maybe it's not happening tonight. There was a game recently. I know that second line was frustrated. You can tell on the bench, right? As a coach, you, you know, and, and, you know, it was like, okay, in between periods, let's just settle down and play, you know, and, and just, you know, get back to what we do well and, and get your game going. But I think what's allowed us to, to be patient or me to be patient is, is again, the, the other line scoring, like the third line the other night. They, they, they get some goals, so all of a sudden it's 2-2. Two, two. You, you can be more patient when you're tied uh, or one goal back or, or one up. It's when you start falling behind a few goals, that's when – it's like, okay, if we want to salvage this game, then we may have to make some switches. So I think that's what's allowed us to be patient. The fourth line was generating some offense for us a little while ago, third line the other night. So it's come from different uh, sources, right? So that allows you to be, you know, a little more stick with it kind of mentality as well. Yeah, listening to you and also Tuca last night, it seems like the feeling is that, um, you know, the issues now are predominantly, you know, positioning um, and so things of, of that nature. Is there any reason to believe you know, times guys will have an injury and they'll, they'll have some difficulty regaining their, their form as a result of that injury? Is there any reason to believe that anything has taken place there from a physical perspective from what you've seen? Injury wise? No, Tuka's healthy. He feels good. Um, uh, the repair went well, uh, his recovery time, he put the time in. Um, there's, there's no issue there. He has not once said that, um, that he's laboring or, not comfortable. Uh, in fact, it's the opposite. He, he feels that he's able to recover quicker. The pain that he played through in the past, the surgery, you know, relieved that or uh, was able to alleviate that. And now it's to me, it's um, timing. Uh, looks like he's having trouble picking up the puck as quick as he'd like that he has in the past. And I honestly believe sometimes that's just playing. He just needs to play. He needs to play with traffic and get those kind of uh, details of his, 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 his game, particular game back. Um, I think it's as simple as that. I don't believe he's, you know, playing through any pain at all, or there's any, any reason to believe that the uh, surgery is bothering him. I mean, only he can answer that, but I believe he has and, and, and said the same thing. Someone who would not sit out due to injury is Brad Marchand. Marchand was not supposed to play against the Winnipeg Jets and he was in the lineup uh, as he gave it a go, sending a clear message to his teammates. Here's Marshy. Hey, Marshy, you mentioned kind of the the thought process going to this one where there's the culture thing where you want to play, you need to play, but also you don't want to, you know, hurt the team if you're uh, unable to to go. Kind of take me through the, the thought process there and what do you think it means, you know, to the boys when they see you not just in this game, but also they're trying to give it a go on the bench in the last one after taking that hit. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a respect uh, amongst a group uh, when a guy plays through something. Um, you know, same thing happened with Greasy. Chucky went through it uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, it's not always uh, known in, in, in the public and in the media what guys play through, but there's a tre- tremendous amount of respect, I think, that goes to the group when, when guys uh, are willing to put their bodies on the line and play through injury and pain. 
uh, for each other. Because uh, that's ultimately what what it's about is is going to war and going to battle with each other every night. And again, I think it goes back to the way that you know being brought up in this organization is. Um, you know, you play for the group, you play for the room, and and it's about sacrifice. I mean, we play, we have short careers uh, in the grand scheme of things, and 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 uh, you know, in, in this group here, we lay it all line and play through whatever we can. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there's times where you can't, you just can't go. And um, you know, we saw it the other night where I had to, I I couldn't play the other night. Um, but uh, you know, when you can, it, it's it's very hard to. To know that you can play and to, and to pull yourself out and um <laughs> it's just you know it's not really me to do that talked with charlie coyle about how the bruins have found themselves hey charlie um you guys won 10 out of 12 here in january what's kind of clicked after the break for you guys anything that jumps out at you about um the way you guys have been playing collectively i don't know if it's something like it's one thing to point out it's could be a number of things, you know, uh, maybe the rest helped, uh, staying fresh, uh, but obviously our, our schedule now is, is pretty, pretty hectic and we're kind of in a rhythm here playing every other day, at least. Uh, so we'll just, you know, we gotta, you know, just take that in stride and focus on in each day, whether it's a practice, um, getting better there, or if it's a game coming to focus, whether it's three o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever it is. Um, but kind of everyone just kind of stepping up. There's been injuries, guys in and out. Um, other guys uh, who have been in Providence a little bit coming up and, and playing good minutes and playing very well. That helps everyone. Obviously, that helps them, helps our team, helps uh, the internal competition. And, and we have a lot of guys who can be in the lineup who aren't in the lineup every night. And I think that's what makes a good team is those guys coming up and pushing us. And we've had a lot of that so far. Checking on the Boston Celtics right now. Just as the Bruins have been playing much better, so have the Celtics. Celtics have won 7 of 10. And, of course, the consistency has been the major challenge for Boston where they've gone up, they've gone down. You think that they're about to turn things on. It doesn't turn into anything for them. Have the Celtics finally found themselves? You know, past history of the past two seasons would indicate eh, maybe we need a little more evidence. But uh, Celtics uh, seem to this moment at least, be playing the type of basketball they need. Their offense kind of comes and goes. Defense has been pretty consistent for them this year, and I talked with head coach Ime Adoka about that. Hey, Ime, hope all is well with you. Um, there's been the the fight to find consistency, and having won 7 of 10, do you feel like, particularly on the defensive end, you've established you know, the habits that you need, that this is not just something that's happening now, but is more of a long-term projection for where the team's headed? Yeah, I would say we've been pretty consistent there throughout the year. Um, you know, started off in the top 10, got to got around top five. And the, the only dip we really had was on that West Coast trip where we gave up quite a few points and, and big scoring games for the opponents. So we've been consistent there overall. But um, every game presents new challenges. And so what we possibly can get away with against some other teams, we're playing against some really good shooting teams coming up now. So starting with Atlanta tonight and Miami being one of those in a few games, uh, you know, we got to guard differently, uh, get the shooters, get them off the line. And so every game presents its own challenges and you can't just rely on what we've done against certain teams because uh, the personnel on these teams changes. And so uh, it'll be a good challenge, like the, the opponents we have coming up. But as we've said, we've kind of forged our identity on the defensive end and we're trying to catch up offensively. And we know we have a chance every night with the way we're guarding. Let's do some baseball now. Tristan Cassis had the best two games of any player ever. 
here in New Hampshire. Five home runs in two games here this past September as the Portland Sea Dogs came in to take on the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Cassis then was promoted to AAA. This after an Olympic appearance in which he was a key figure in the silver medal winning squad for the United States at the Olympics. And Cassis, at the age of 22, appears to be Major League ready. But of course, is there even going to be a Major League season? I talked with Red Sox prospect Tristan Cassis. Hey, Tristan, in kind of your self-evaluation process in the offseason now and here in the uh, the winter workout period, what do you see as being your strengths as a, as a hitter and a player overall and some of the things that you feel that you have to kind of continue to evolve with? What's up, Chris? I uh, love your scarf. But, uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to work on everything. I, I think, uh, you know, there's room for improvement on every side of the ball, and, and uh, that goes the same for my weaknesses. Uh, I, I know – I know my strengths, uh, you know, obviously are, are mostly in the box. Uh, you know, that's my, that's my, that's going to be my claim to fame, you know, getting the hit and hit for power and, and driving the ball, driving in runs and hitting extra base hits. Um, that's what I do well. But, um, you know, on the, on the weakness sides of things, I don't know how many weaknesses I, I like to say I have, you know, I, I, I like to think that I work hard on every single one to, to try to make them a strength and make my strengths even stronger. But uh, I wouldn't say uh, that I have any weaknesses or strengths. I just say that I, I go out there and try to do uh, everything perfect. Um, I try to be the best at everything. And uh, hopefully I'll fall fall down, foul line uh, with everybody else somewhere. But uh, shoot for the moon and, and land among the stars kind of thing with my strengths and weaknesses. And from a player's perspective, there's obviously, you know, this huge uncontrollable thing in regard to, you know, what the season and the lockout, et cetera. How do you how do you handle that from a mental standpoint? Obviously, putting the work in, knowing that you want to make that debut this year. Yeah, I know. Eventually, one day we're gonna play another game again, and uh, you know we're gonna see who's been working and who hasn't. Uh, I'm sure everybody um, is a little more sure as to uh, when we're gonna play in the next game, as opposed to like last year with the COVID. You know, that was that was a crazy year. Um, I had applied that that mindset a little more towards that because we really had no unknown. We, we were really unknown about, uh, you know, the future. So I'm going to go into it with the same approach this year. Um, I don't know when spring training is. I don't know when it's going to start, but I'm just going to take every uh, possible day to, to try to get better and, and come into spring training whenever that may be in the best shape as possible. Big question about when and if in regard to the baseball season. Of course, spring training is supposed to get underway in just a couple weeks, but that seems unlikely at this point. Something that is underway is ski season here in New Hampshire. We're going to be heading out and about across the Grand State to some of our great ski mountains here on the Press Pass. And today, a bit of a stop up at Cannon Mountain with J.D., their general manager. Yeah, I mean, you guys always do pick your days here. It seems like every time you're here, <laughs> it's you've not got an accident. a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, today is no different than that. Mount Lafayette here in the background. Hopefully you guys are going up and over the saddle to access uh, the Mittersill side. Still working on that double chair. The T-bar is available down low. But yeah, problem with that, though, is that Liam is, Liam is soft. My oldest son <laughs> is here with me today, and he doesn't want to walk up the saddle complaining about the, uh, the legs so far. But we'll see if I can get him to do it, because the saddle is one of the amazing most amazing parts of this. Tell folks a little about that. Yeah, when you get to the summit of Cannon, uh, which is at about 4,080, 4,100 feet, the summit of Mittersill is 3,600 feet. So you'll ski down Taft, and then you'll hike up and over the saddle. It's about a five-minute journey, and you access all of the Mittersill side. 
Uh, and you can do that on any day or when the double chair is not running. A lot of folks like to do that almost as a rite of passage. And when you look back from the top of the saddle to Cannon proper, it is pretty amazing. I'm not sure there's a better view in New Hampshire. I totally agree with that. And you get to the trail up there, which you can only ski via hiking uh, that five-minute trail. Yeah, so it's basically it's all the saddle trail, but that chute going down from uh, the, the top of the saddle down into Mittersill is pretty cool. It's about 1,500 feet. Fairly narrow trail, twisting, winding. You get some moguls in there. It's kind of like a woods trail that's actually opened up. Uh, it's probably about 25, 30 feet wide, maybe 50 feet at most. It's really, really cool. One of the amazing parts about the notch as well is the extreme and at times unpredictable weather, which is obviously not ideal for running a ski resort, but still it's a pretty cool uh, aspect of it. As an example, on Saturday, Mount Washington was one degree to start the day around 6 o'clock, and that was the warmest spot in new england and it can fluctuate generally more on the on the colder side uh what's it like here when there is the extreme cold and what's it like above three thousand feet yeah strangely today for example uh, when i got here it was negative five but at my house at 600 feet above sea level it was actually negative 21 so sometimes we are the warmest spot in the northern hemisphere other times we're the coldest spot in the northern hemisphere The Press Pass on WKXL is presented by the Prescription Center, where the health of you and your family comes first. Check out either of their two locations, one at the Concord Hospital Campus, the other 125 North Main Street. The Prescription Center will also deliver your prescriptions to you free of charge. That's the Prescription Center, where the health of you and your family comes first.